What's going on? Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. It is heard live every day from noon to three on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content like invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with all the links, become a patron. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com. Make sure you hit the subscribe button. Get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And again, thank you so much for your support. Ed Warren, former U.S. Air Force nuclear weapons officer wrote a very lengthy piece at a website called persuasion.com. And yes, you can sign up and get their uh, newsletter. I think it's a Substack kind of thing. It, 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 it's free, but I will warn you, a lot of the writing comes from the left. And this guy, he is a former uh, service member out of the Air Force, but he identifies himself as you know one of the only um, liberals that was in the Air Force, and all of his colleagues would jokingly refer to him as you know pinko commie liberal. And he actually says in this piece that he interpreted that label as an irreverent form of inclusion because it's implicit that they all have different political views, but those are just peripheral characteristics to who they are. It's not who they are, right? Because they've all agreed to sacrifice their lives to be a member of the military together. So they all agree that there is something that universally attracts them to the military. And so those other things, those are the ways that you rib your colleagues. Those are the differences that you you make fun of them, but it's all in good nature. It's all half-hearted. It's all in fun because you all recognize that it's peripheral. It's a side issue. It's not the thing that you are. He then gets out of the military, goes to work in New England, uh, for some, uh, I forget what you call it, like a, a tech business startup or something, clean tech business. And uh, he, again, this was probably around like 2010 or so. He's um, he's surrounded by people that he says also share in what uh, he believed were a practical set of values that his parents taught him and that he believes to this day that most Americans share, which is work hard Take personal responsibility for your actions, contribute to your community, and treat others with respect. And if you do these things, if everybody or the majority of us do these things, right, this will make for an amicable society of trusting people that can get along and we'll all benefit. Right? These are the things that should unite us. So he's talking about how things started to change, though, in 2015. Uh, I suspect he was appalled at the rise of Donald Trump. He didn't think Donald Trump um, uh, recognized or uh, these values were not manifest in, in him, in Trump. Treating others with respect, for example. I think Trump works hard. Taking personal responsibility. I don't know. Contribute to the community. Probably for Trump. But he doesn't go into all of these details. I'm just laying bare the, the politic or the politics that he has. I don't think you should reject what he is saying because he's coming from that side of the political aisle. And I don't know if he actually is still on that side of the political aisle. He never says. But he does note that when he took a um, he took a class, it was a, a dual degree program between Dartmouth and Harvard. And he's sitting in the class with, you know, students around him, his fellow students. They they tended to come from wealthier backgrounds. They have progressive inclinations and they believed that the sins of America's past necessitated an unsparing and wholesale reinvention of America's core tenets. 
He says it was fashionable among them to condemn an ethos of hard work and personal responsibility as evidence of white supremacy culture or to declare that the American dream was dead. I actually ran up against this a um, couple weeks ago when when the Twitter argument with that ACLU, now former lobbyist, uh, when that all erupted a couple of weeks ago, somebody said she was not acting professional as a lobbyist, as a director of a deputy director of engagement for the North Carolina chapter of the NC or the North Carolina chapter of the ACLU. And somebody said she wasn't acting very professional. And they called that white supremacy <laughs> being professional. And so that's what these students believed. And he doesn't mention their race or anything else, but this is a pervasive uh, mindset. They were then attacking Trump supporters, calling them, you know, sexist and dumb and racist and all that. And he pushed back on them. He said, you know, look, maybe just a lot of them. And by the way, I, I suspect he was able to do so because he knew so many of them from his time in the service. Right. These are people that did a lot of the living and the dying. Right. For for these American ideals. And he said, look, maybe some of these folks are just fed up with the endless wars that they often go fight. They're the ones that go and fight these wars. Or maybe they're mad that the economic losses of the Great Recession have not been regained by them, right? Automation, globalization. Maybe they're mad that illegal immigration represents an economic threat to them. More so, I've heard it said before, it's a great point, that if illegal immigrants were taking the jobs of journalists they would be more attuned to those pressures, right? They would, they would probably care a little bit more about the issue in a different way. Or maybe these voters resented the disdain and hostility towards working-class police officers, despite the extraordinary challenges of that profession. Or how about this? Opioid deaths have ravaged their communities, perpetuated by large pharmaceutical corporations. Maybe they're... Just a wee bit angry about that. Maybe, just maybe, they were deeply offended and angry that rather than truly listening to their frustration and their pain, liberal elites declared them deplorable. So he says this in the class. And he says this perspective was received with a mixture of surprise and confusion, as if these classmates had never truly wrestled with the possibility that the rise of Trump might have been primarily driven, not by hatred and prejudice, but by understandable resentment of the disregard and condescension shown by many liberals. Unfortunately, many on the left still have not learned this lesson. However, he says, average Americans fortunately already know the path and show the path forward. Whether or not they enunciate it, they demonstrate a common sense political doctrine in their personal lives every day. Limbaugh used to talk about this too, right? That people live by conservatism. They live their own lives by conservative principles. Even as they say, I'm a moderate or something. But they live generally by conservative principles. They live by these shared values, work hard, take personal responsibility, contribute to your community, treat others with respect. And that's not just, like, that shouldn't just be a, quote, conservative value. There's nothing conservative about that. Unfortunately, it has become so. People 
like reject these things and say, well, if you do that, then you're conservative. But it's not conservative to take personal responsibility, right? That's American. That should be what an American value is. Um, and by the way, for folks who maybe uh, have never heard me talk about this, I this is a question that I keep coming back to. Like, what is it that makes us all Americans? What is the thing that keeps us together? Because my fear is that, uh, and, uh, and I, I heard it with this announcement, actually, by Vivek Ramswamy um, for president. He uh, made this uh, campaign announcement uh, that he's running. And he talked about this very thing. And I've, I am, I'm not aware I've heard somebody running for office that has articulated this better than he has. And I'll play the, uh, I'll play the clip for you. But Americans generally live like this. Right? It reveals... We reveal ourselves, he says, it reveals itself in the mutual kindness that we exhibit to our neighbors and colleagues and in the pride we take in our livelihoods, our families, and our local communities. It shows up in polling. Americans who disagree strongly over hot-button issues demonstrate nearly indistinguishable alignment when asked about core values such as equality, liberty, and progress. Turns out, for all our differences, most Americans share a worldview of equal rights, personal freedom, and social investment, he calls it. Average Americans give their full measure of devotion by leading decent, honorable lives despite the distractions and disappointments of our current moment. Generally, we request very little outside help. We simply want the economic opportunity, social foundation, and basic respect to build lives of meaning for ourselves and our kids. The task ahead is to see the goodness in this example, to internalize it, and then begin the work of building a more empowering and respectful society. All right, so that's, I gave you the high points. Like I said, it's a very, very lengthy piece. Um, and this reminded me of that video where these guys start yelling at a patron in a restaurant, They're like teenagers, whatever, and he calls them thugs. They're black, he's white, so then they start threatening him and telling him that they don't appreciate being called thugs. Saying we're not thugs, we're not thugs, but then threaten him with violence, which is obviously thuggish behavior. That's obviously what a thug would do. That's the definition. We have a culture of disrespect. We have a culture of disrespect now. Right? These are different things. And it is the natural result, I think, of a culture of victimhood. We've moved very quickly from a culture of respect, like think of it like a culture of, of chivalry or something, right, where you, that, where you attain status by chivalrous acts or, or doing good, being good, like these things used to give you status. Now it seems like the status is bequeathed upon people who show the most disrespect towards one another while demanding others respect them. That's the thing. That's the big catch for me is some of the people that demand respect the most offer so little of it to everybody else. Alrighty, so along the lines of uh, this shared American values concept, right, that was uh, documented here, outlined, I thought, really well by Ed Warren at Persuasion.com. Work hard, take personal responsibility, contribute to your community, and treat others with respect. These four things... They're very simple, but for some reason we've gotten away from them for whatever reason, or a lot of people, you know, beating the drums in politics. Uh, they 
They don't want us to abide by these things. But I think, as Ed Warren does, I think that a lot of people do still follow these these basic ideas, these basic values. So along comes a fellow by the name of Vivek Ramaswamy. And he is a conservative author. He's a businessman. Um, He announced that he is running for president in 2024. And he says that America has a national identity crisis. Here is uh, the audio from his announcement video, because I guess that's how everybody does it nowadays. You just put out the video. Here's the audio. And tell me if this... Well, I'm curious what you think of the uh, of the message. Does it have a universal appeal or is he only talking to a very small sliver of the Republican electorate? I remember in 1993 when I was in second grade and I heard Martin Luther King's I have a dream speech for the first time. That was the speech where he said, I hope my four children grow up in a country where they are judged not on the color of their skin, but on the content of their character. That dream stuck with me. It meant something to me. I grew up in Ohio in the 90s as a skinny kid with nerdy glasses and a funny last name. My parents taught me that if you're going to stand out, then you might as well be outstanding. Achievement was my ticket to get ahead. I went on to found multi-billion dollar companies, and I did it while getting married, raising a family, and following my faith in God. And yes, I am a millennial. I was born in 1985. But the sad part is that if I'd been born 20 years later, I think my story would have been impossible. We're in the middle of a national identity crisis today. Our nation is hungry for a cause, for purpose, for meaning. The things that used to fill that void, like faith, patriotism, hard work, and family, have disappeared. We now embrace one secular religion after another, from COVIDism to climatism, and gender ideology to satisfy our deeper need for identity. Yet we cannot even answer the question of what it means to be an American in the year 2023. Today, the woke left preys on that vacuum. They tell you that your race, your gender, and your sexual orientation govern who you are and what you can achieve in life. If you question that orthodoxy, they call you a bigot, a homophobe, a climate denier, a racist. And there is no greater damnation in modern America than to be called a racist. This is psychological slavery. And that's created a new culture of fear in our country that has completely replaced our culture of free speech in America. If you ask me, the best measure of the health of American democracy is actually the percentage of people who feel free to say what they actually think in public. And right now we're doing abysmally. That's why today I'm announcing my run for President of the United States. This isn't just a political campaign. This is a cultural movement to create a new dream for the next generation of Americans. And this time around, it isn't just about money. It's about the unapologetic pursuit of excellence in our country. It means you believe in merit, that you get ahead in this country not on the color of your skin, but on the content of your character and your contributions. It means you believe the people who we elect to run the government are the ones who actually run the government, not federal bureaucrats who multiply themselves like a national cancer that's now metastasizing to the private sector. It means that the best ideas win instead of getting censored. 
It means you don't have to choose between speaking your mind freely and putting food on the dinner table. It means you believe these ideals form the backbone of the greatest nation on earth that the rest of the world still looks up to as its example. Not the Soviet Union in the last century and not communist China in this one either. That is the new American dream. Ask yourself if you still believe in these ideals. I don't care if you're black or white, gay or straight, Democrat or Republican for that matter. Are you on board with these basic principles? If you are, then we're on the same team. I think most of you believe these things to be true. I think most of you think that your neighbors, your colleagues, and your classmates also believe these things to be true, but you can't be sure anymore because you don't feel free to talk about it. Maybe you disagree with each other about whether corporate tax rates should be high or low, whether ivermectin treats COVID, and that's fine, but those are details. We still agree on the most basic rules of the road, at least most of us do. Yet the goal of the ruling party in this country is to convince us that we are divided. Why? So they can accumulate more power for themselves. Well, you know what? I have a dream that we can be one people again. That our best days are actually, truly, not in some cheesy politician kind of way, but actually ahead of us. We've obsessed so much over our diversity and our differences that we forgot all the ways we're really just the same, bound by a common set of ideals as Americans. I believe deep in my bones that those ideals still exist. And I'm running for president to revive them. E pluribus unum, from many, one. That is the dream that won the American Revolution. That is the dream that reunited us after the Civil War. That is the dream that won us two world wars and the Cold War. That is the dream that still gives hope to the free world. And if we can revive that dream over fractious group identity, then nobody in the world, not a nation, not a corporation, not a virus is gonna defeat us. That is what American exceptionalism is all about. And that is what we need to revive in order to save this great nation. All right, so what do you think of his pitch? And on Twitter, it's a Pete tweet from Mama Donna, who says, Pete, I'm crying at this speech by Vivek. Vivek Ramaswamy played his announcement video. It ran about five minutes. I apologize. It went a little bit long. I mistimed it. Real professional, Pete. And um, I think he made some really good points in a very succinct way. I don't know... If a lot of the stuff that he says about, uh, you know, the left and the and wokeism and all that, I, I, I'm not sure that that's going to win him a lot of converts <laughs> from the, you know, from the Democratic side of the aisle. But maybe I don't know. Maybe in a general election, if he were to get past a primary, I, I'm going to go into some of that uh, horse race uh, game theory in a minute. But the the speech, I thought he did a really good job of defining sort of unifying principles for us. For example, and if you've listened to my show for any period of time, you've probably heard me talk about this as well in different uh, settings, which is purpose. Having a purpose. We all need to have purpose. The thing that the thing that drives us, and I submit that a lot of the problems that we have today in our American society, in our culture, is a lack of purpose and almost a celebration of 
a lack of purpose. And that is tied very much to responsibility. One of the, you know, one of the four values that Ed Warren noted. Work hard, personal responsibility, right? Because working hard just for working hard's sake, I mean, they do that in North Korea, right? Working hard in and of itself is not necessarily automatically uh, a good thing. If you're, you know, if you're pressed into service, you're enslaved or something, that's obviously not towards a, a good end, right? But working hard for your own improvement, for your family's improvement. See, it's tied with taking personal responsibility for your actions, right? That's all tied together with you work hard. Here's another thing. I told a guy I was at, um, I went over to Belmont Abbey uh, College. Well, actually, we were at Founders Hall there. Belmont Abbey is launching this massive uh, capital campaign to to build new uh, facilities. And I have to admit, I was ignorant about um, their hist- Belmont Abbey's history, but also the culture, the values that they instill, and the, their guideposts. And like they are unapologetic in their mission, and I res- I respect that. Um, I want to help them, and uh, because like the stuff that they are working to do, their values align with mine. And one of them is yeah, you know, responsibility, hard work, giving back to the community and service. And anyway, we're sitting at the table, and uh, I don't know anybody at the table. And there was this student that was. Uh, a part of the student government. There, there were a couple of them, you know, sprinkled throughout the, the room. And um, yeah, we got to talking, and he's, um, he's, uh, he, he w- wants to, he's an English major. He was going to teach, like, this very specific, I think he was saying it was, like, uh, medieval fiction or, or I forget what it was, English or Celtic or something. But he was, he, he was trying to get into some programs uh, overseas in the U.K. and in Ireland and Scotland or whatever. And so we were chatting, and... and you know, what do you want to do with that degree? And he says, you know, of course, to teach, because that's, I think, what you probably have to do with that kind of a degree. And I said, well, you could, you know, if you, if, if you are truly interested in the content and you were able to make it engaging and informative, you, you don't necessarily have to become a professor to do that, right, to convey these ideas and explore your research. And so I said, like, what is your, what's the goal? And so he says, you know, to, to go teach. And I said, well, is it to teach in a school or is it to teach about the the subject matter and he indicated it was the latter and I said well you can do a podcast you can do a YouTube video you can open lectures up and put them out there quote for free but then monetize it when you have an audience because if the content is compelling then people will find you content is king and I told him have goals I'm big about this too have goals and tell people what those goals are because you never know if they're going to be able to help you achieve them. That's how people achieve goals. They don't keep them all a secret and hide them from everybody, unless, of course, maybe you're like you're Machiavellian or something. But if you have a goal, you want to broadcast that to other people, tell other people what it is that you want to do, and you would be amazed how many times just simply speaking your goal makes it become a reality. Make It comes to fruition because someone says, oh, like this guy, I have no idea what he's going to do with that information. I have no idea when I said to him, like, here's how you do it. I gave him my card. I said, if you ever need any you know, tips or pointers or advice on how to start a podcast, I know how to do that. I can, I can tell you how to do that and see what happens, right? And maybe he doesn't do it, but maybe he does. I don't know. 
But maybe he tells somebody else and he speaks his, his dream into existence. That's how that happens. Have some goals, put them down on paper, make them real. And if you have like a five-year horizon, what's your five-year plan? What's the goal for five years? Then um, you're more likely to achieve it. You're way more likely to achieve it. And so stating these goals, stating your purpose, right? Vital. And Vivek Ramswamy says that we as Americans are hungry for purpose, right? To satisfy our need for an identity. He went on to say in an interview on Fox News, he said, quote, our diversity is meaningless if there's nothing greater that binds us together. But as a brilliant summation of the problem right now in America, there's so much focus on diversity, on the things that make us different. It makes us forget that there's anything that binds us together. I would ask this question. I've been asking this question for years on the show, but also when I would go and speak at uh, classrooms on college campuses and the like on the few times they actually invite me to go. Um, and I'll ask people in various settings, what is it that makes us all Americans? What is it that unites us? Is it just the fact that we got born, you know, inside a particular jurisdiction on a map that I don't even know if we recognize as a specific jurisdiction any longer <laughs> worth protecting, right? That's it. Is that the only thing that makes us Americans? Or is there something that we are supposed to share, some set of ideals, some values, these things that unite us? He called it a national identity crisis. And that, yes, we have celebrated our, um, we have celebrated our diversity so much that we have forgotten what binds us together. He emphasized the need for meritocracy, pushing for the end of affirmative action, and uh, as he's a proponent of free speech, he also discussed foreign policy uh, and noted that China is the U.S. top competitor. And he says, if you ask most people what it means to be American today, you'll get a blank stare in response. I got to tell you, I have received a very similar reaction. Here's another Pete tweet. It's from App Patriot Girl. She says, I have to say from the audio, it's a pretty impressive piece of audio. He sounds impressive. I've been watching him for a while. He actually is the, uh, he's the founder of an asset management firm called Strive Asset Management. And the whole point when he set this up uh, had a mission of depoliticizing corporate America away from the ESG investment movement that's been taken over. So that's what he's the guy is like trying to fight back. And I think this is what it's going to take is a lot more people doing so a lot more people engaging with the battle. He's a first generation American. Um, he's got an undergrad degree from Harvard, a law degree from Yale. He's a best selling author. The book was called Woke Inc. Inside Corporate America's Social Justice Scam. He's also got another book called Nation of Victims, Identity Politics, The Death of Merit, and the Path Back to Excellence. He is also the third candidate to announce his bid for the GOP nomination alongside Trump and Haley. And so Samuel Mangold Lennett at TheFederalist.com asks, I think, an important question, which is, who exactly is uh, his primary voter? <laughs> who would that be? We'll take a look. 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Let's get Ralph on. Hello, Ralph. Thanks for hanging on. What's going on? Hey, 
anytime, Pete. Uh, great show. I, I seen that gentleman uh, announce, I think it was on Tucker Carlson last night. He's been on Tucker's show about three or four times uh, and everything and has some, has some good policies, in my opinion. What I was going to say is, though, people do need a purpose. And me and my wife, 25 years ago, started a small business. It took me three weeks of going around and talking to people and knocking on doors and driving around before I got my first client. Mm -hmm. And and it was during the building boom uh, and everything. And I got in with real real estate attorneys and, and doing research and we got other clients like that. But, you know, People need a purpose, and once you get your first client, it kind of feeds off that, and then you've got to have a little bit of luck, but you've got to do a good job. And so, I mean, we've been very blessed, and so, uh, you know, I'm actually heading to Union County up to the courthouse to do some research work there now, and, uh, but, uh, you know, you can't stop people, and you can't give somebody money just to stay at home. I think it was on your show or some other show. Aren't there 10 million men out of the workforce? Yeah, that sounds right. I mean, I don't, yeah, the, the labor force participation rate is low and very low among uh, working age males. Well, and, and you get attacked for your masculinity. I mean, I, I go out each day and try to improve myself. I mean, technology is trying to put our business out where you can do this stuff online, but I've always adapted. I've always found new things that my clients needed that that they couldn't do online. And, and, and like Russ Limbaugh said about climate, you learn to adapt. Right. You adapt to your surroundings. And, and I basically, uh, I went to high school, I had a little bit of, couple classes at CP, but it infuriates me for people to want to stay at home and then want to check and not get out and do anything. If You can do simple things and make a business out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the, right. And, and the whole, the, if you're, if you're working, if you're working to give kids uh, like in the trades or vocational training, right? The key there is to identify something that they like to do. Uh, that they feel personally rewarding, right? So it, it puts them on a path. And a lot of, um, you know, a lot of times that you get your experience and then you go off and do your own thing, right? That's the whole point. That's an entrepreneurial spirit. And you are exactly right. I learned it when I set up my own business and it was, uh, it was a, uh, I, des- I describe it like a switch got flipped. I never felt like that before. I'd heard um, entrepreneurs talk about it, but you just did the same thing. You talked about, how when you started your business, the amount of time and effort it took at the very beginning to get it started. Those are the things that almost every single successful person who has built a business, that's what they always start talking about first. Almost 100% of the time, they all talk about the hardest times because it shows that they persevered and they were rewarded for doing so. Yeah, and, and, it, and it's, it's a good feeling. And yeah. now, I mean, I'm 63. I, I just like... It's kind of like a sport. I mean, when you go out and you get a, a call, and I've worked for some attorneys that I've sat down with a lot of people that at their homes that have foundation names uh, on the sides of buildings down in Charlotte, and they are the most common, sincere people that you, you meet, most of them, mm. and everything. 
and uh, you know they're they're doing transactions, and I had to to notarize stuff. And but uh, you know it, it's a a feeling of accomplishment, a feeling it's a good feeling. Absolutely, Ralph. I appreciate the call. Continued success to you, sir. Thank you, sir. All right, buddy. Take it easy. Um, all right. So I got a message here from John who uh, expressed some concern at uh, Vivek Ramaswamy's uh, age. He says, great commercial. However, I will never vote for somebody that young. He lacks life experience to lead the country, but he should be running for something. I never did get his name. His first name is Vivek, V-I-V-E-K. His last name is Ramaswamy, M-A, sorry, R-A-M-A. So Rama Road, like Rama Road, R-A-M-A-S-W-A-M-Y. Ramaswamy, Ramaswamy. And uh, I don't know. I mean, he is. He's 38 years old. But um, let's see. He began his career on Wall Street. Then he went into pharmaceuticals with a company called Royvant Sciences, which develops drugs that were abandoned by the industry. He then went and founded the asset management firm, Strive Asset Management. And look, maybe, I mean, all right, like, what is he going to pull, 1%, 2% or something in a GOP primary that's probably going to be Trump versus DeSantis? But maybe this is his his on-ramp to national politics. We'll see. (laughs) 